This is a book review of Griftopia, Bubble Machines, Vampire Squids, and the Long Con that is Breaking America by Matt Taibbi. Journalist Matt Taibbi's best-selling Griftopia is the most enlightening, terrifying, and prophetic book on the 2008-2009 global financial crisis and crises yet to come that you've never heard of. Uh, Just a note, this is a new feature on Gone Native, which I'm experimenting with. Um, When we think of a book review, you might be thinking back to grade school and what I read over the summer kind of book reports. But I read a lot of nonfiction books that kind of blow my mind and leave me scratching my head. And I always want to share what I learned. Uh, I think that many books have lessons to impart, which are important for everyone to understand, not just Americans or people from any particular country, community or credo. So in the service of spreading knowledge, I present to you this book review. If you're wondering why I might want to review a book published in 2010 on a financial crisis that happened more than a decade ago, let me crib a line from the summary on goodreads.com. Quote, the financial crisis that exploded in 2008 isn't past, but prologue. The stunning rise, fall, and rescue of Wall Street in the bubble and bailout era was the coming out party for the network of looters who sit at the nexus of American political and economic power. Unquote. Truer words have probably never been written. Griftopia is a compendium of the individuals and institutions which were responsible for the 2008-2009 global financial crisis, how they caused it, previous economic catastrophes they were responsible for, and how it will almost definitely happen again, considering that almost none of the people responsible have ever been held to account in any consequential way. In fact, the rampant inflation and economic downturn we're seeing now in 2022 is likely the end result of yet another economic bubble being inflated and popped in the form of government subsidies from the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the concurrent environment of low or zero interest rates. During the pandemic, the U.S. Treasury, along with just about every other country in the world, opened up the fire hose of cash, to steal one of Matt Taibbi's metaphors, and aimed it towards corporate America, who unhinged their fat, piggish jowls to swallow up the vast majority of the money which ordinary Americans needed to make it through unprecedented shutdowns of their jobs, businesses, and livelihoods, the damage from which is still reverberating today. To illustrate this, here's a chart of the S&P 500 stock market index over the last five years, including from March 2020 when the pandemic began until July 2022. If you draw a line through an approximate average of market values from mid-2017 until today, you can see the general trajectory of a broad index of U.S. and, by extension, global equities markets. The pandemic drop-off in March 2020 is clear, as well as the following surge in stock market prices over the rest of 2020 and 2021. Even the milder 2018 recession and recovery pales in comparison. I'm no expert, but to me, everything after March 2020 looks a lot like yet another bubble being inflated. Since we're on the subject, I thought I'd share another graph with you. This one from all the way back in 1998 until 2022. The graph below illustrates the popping of previous financial bubbles, including the internet boom and bust around 2000-2002 and the collapse of the housing market during 2008-2009 that took the entire global economy with it. Now look at 2020-2022. That's one hell of a bubble compared to previous ones. The internet bubble alone wiped out around $5 trillion in wealth. When the dust settles at long last from the absolute chaos of Wild West pandemic financing, I think we will find that the damage from this bubble and the egregious depravity which led to it was far worse. That is, if writers like Matt Taibbi are able or allowed to tell us about it. The lesson of Taibbi's book is that these things happen for a reason. 
As consumers, we are encouraged to think of financial markets operating somewhat akin to the weather. We are told that the ups and downs of global stocks and bond yields are driven by unpredictable forces like consumer sentiment or supply and demand. What isn't discussed as much is how investment banks like Goldman Sachs game the markets by, among other diabolical schemes, colluding with government insiders to manipulate interest rates and financial regulations in order to implement massive Ponzi schemes and suck as much real wealth as they can out of the economy to line their own pockets before the whole thing implodes. The best part of it is, these big banks have so many of their own evangelists and archpriests embedded into the government bureaucracy that after their reckless gambling wipes out billions or even trillions of dollars of people's money, they can just get bailed out on the backs of John and Susie Q taxpayer, who had no idea someone was using their nest egg to place leveraged bets against their own future. These unscrupulous gamblers therefore get double the reward from their bad behavior. So you have to wonder, what's the incentive for them to ever stop? And it just keeps happening, over and over and over again. As Americans in particular, we are kept so distracted by chasing wealth and a better lifestyle that we fail to notice what's being done behind the scenes to allow these three-piece monsters to loot the public treasury and leave us all, as well as the next generation, worse off financially than ever before. As our infrastructure crumbles or gets sold off piecemeal to the Saudis and Chinese, our healthcare system deteriorates, both topics of which are covered in Griftopia, and yet more of our tax money is earmarked to fight foreign wars, we spend our time chasing internet fame and crypto riches, which incidentally are turning out to have been yet another Ponzi scheme to keep passing the buck until the biggest suckers left holding the bag, which usually turns out to be us, the taxpaying public. All of this is laid out in Taibbi's book in excruciating detail which makes it required reading for anyone who wants to know just how bad the ordinary taxpayers are getting screwed every day of our lives, often by the same people meant to be protecting us from the kind of financial grift which has created so much economic chaos over the last few decades. Griftopia is the book we need, not the one we deserve. Griftopia should be required reading in every college classroom in America. Heck, start assigning it in high school. Taibbi's writing is thorough, exhaustively researched, and approachable, although sometimes vulgar. But some vulgarity is almost necessary to describe the actions of sleazy banking executives, corrupt government regulators, and predatory dealers of financial products during some of the recent economic catastrophes we've all endured. The book is composed of nine chapters, each of which were first published as articles in Rolling Stone, starting around the 2008 presidential election and running through 2009. Taibbi, a political reporter, explains how he knew almost nothing about the economy or finance until he started to delve into this story. He was forced to give himself a crash education in economics and the modern history of the unbelievably complex system of domestic and international finance and financial quote-unquote products, which is a funny word to use since you don't actually buy anything substantive for your money. When you buy a share of stock or a government bond, even a certificate of deposit from your bank, you are, in effect, purchasing a real asset even though the actual certificate might be digital in nature these days. But in the 2008 crisis, which is covered by the bulk of the subject matter of Griftopia, the tools of our collective demise were arcane-sounding speculative financial instruments like credit default swaps and credit default obligations and other financial derivatives made of packaged and repackaged real assets. In this case, those repackaged assets were people's mortgages on their homes, billions of dollars of them, many created irresponsibly or outright fraudulently by predatory lenders during the subprime mortgage lending boom. The big banks colluded with ratings agencies like Standard & Poor to get these dubious derivative products certified AAA, the highest possible credit rating, even though they knew the underlying assets, mortgages that many people couldn't pay, were pure garbage. 
When too many people started failing to make monthly payments or just walking away from their house when they couldn't pay the bills, all of these speculative derivatives collapsed, leaving whichever institutions were too slow or too ignorant of what was really going on to unload the crap derivatives left holding the bag. But that's just one part of the story. One of the big surprises of Griftopia is that multiple bubbles were actually inflated and popped at around the same time by the same group of economic terrorists. There was a massive commodities bubble which blew up in the summer of 2008, not as a result of the housing crisis, but as a result of deregulation of commodities markets and investment banks gambling with futures contracts that drove up the price of oil from around $30 a barrel to around $150 at the peak. Since commodities or essential products like wheat, corn, and about 25 other consumer staples are all tracked on the same market indexes as oil, the skyrocketing price of a barrel of unrefined petroleum took all the other commodities with it. As a result, the prices of just about everything went through the roof for a few months in 2008. That might not sound like such a big deal, but for so many Americans in particular who live paycheck to paycheck, the price of gas or their grocery bill almost doubling was a real blow. Griftopia is rife with stories like a young woman who was just starting her career and who was forced to live in her car when she couldn't afford the gas to drive to work in summer 2008, or stories of otherwise responsible mortgage borrowers who were scammed by unscrupulous lenders into signing up for surprise adjustable rate mortgages, which doubled or even tripled their interest rates with no warning. Taibi excels at putting a human face on the financial disasters which have marked our lives like milestones of doom every 10 years or so for the last century, all the way back to the Great Depression. Incidentally, the amount of real wealth destroyed through rampant, unregulated speculation around the end of the 1920s which led to the 1929 crash and subsequent decade of global suffering pales in comparison to the numbers being put down in this current round of economic decline. Through it all, the lenders, banks, hedge funds, and financial professionals up and down the chain were raking in fees. They collected a commission on every unwise mortgage, futures contract, or shady mortgage-backed securities trade, which translated into massive cash flows into the personal accounts of bankers all over the world. They bought yachts, houses in the Hamptons, condos on Park Avenue, Lamborghinis, champagne, cocaine, and hookers like wild men and women, using cash earned off the backs of unsuspecting ordinary people. And when the bubble burst, the ones who suffered in the subsequent economic decline were those ordinary Americans who lost their homes, jobs, families, hope for the future, and trust in the system, which seems to just keep letting them down on a regular basis. Bankers gonna bank, regulators gonna not regulate? One thread which runs like a line of white-hot fire through Griftopia is how government regulators like the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Federal Reserve failed to address the real insidiousness perpetrated by the investment banking industry, took action that was too little and too late, or just flat conspired with their pals at firms like Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns, AIG, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and all the usual suspects to manipulate the regulatory environment in order to execute their schemes. Taibi's contempt for these villains drips off every page, but if anything, he tones down the venom in order to do the important job of reporting on how our supposed representatives in government failed us all over and over again, often on purpose. Alan Greenspan, in particular, main subject of the chapter, The Biggest Asshole in the Universe, was so instrumental in getting so many regulatory exemptions issued, changes in law and policy passed, and influential people to adopt convenient positions using bizarre reasoning and unsound economic justifications that were often the exact opposite of correct. Almost all of Greenspan's market predictions, for example, weren't just wrong, but totally, completely, laughably wrong. 
that it would be easy to ignore some of the other culprits like Larry Summers and Timothy Geithner and pin all the blame on Greenspan alone. Taibbi's chapter on Greenspan outlines the weird history of Wall Street and Greenspan personally with Ayn Rand and the philosophy of objectivism that the Atlas Shrugged writer promoted. The epitome of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, promoting individualism above all else along with complete deregulation of industry and finance, objectivism is the philosophical basis for the fictional Gordon Gecko's greed is good ethos and the moral driver for the corruption and wild uninhibited financial dealing which emerged during the 1970s and really got going in the 1980s and 90s. But Greenspan, chairman of the church-like Federal Reserve, which lacks public transparency and almost everything it does, and is run by a hierarchy, which according to Taibbi very much resembles the Catholic Church, with the chairman as pope, directors as cardinals, and so on down the line, for almost 20 years from 1987 until 2006, is just the figurehead for the rampant objectivist derailment of what used to be a much better regulated and indeed almost boring world of investment finance, before these maniacs got their hands on the levers of power. During the Great Depression, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the U.S. Congress passed a whole smorgasbord of legislation designed to protect the assets of ordinary people and businesses from the kind of orgiastic speculation which led to the 1929 crash. There are some good arguments to be made that some of that new regulation represented government overreach, but there is no denying that organizations like the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933 – which both established the FDIC and prevented commercial banks from merging with investment banks, did a tremendous amount to stabilize the wobbly financial system in those troubled years. Then, in the later 20th century, you started to hear arguments from people like Greenspan that Glass-Steagall, for example, imposed limitations on the banking sector that were unhealthy and that allowing banks to diversify into riskier and less transparent financial instruments would actually reduce risk. Looking back on that argument, it's hard not to laugh, given how repealing Glass-Steagall and allowing banks to merge and collude freely in the manipulation of financial markets was one of the main, direct, provable contributors to the boom and bust cycles that seem to come with ever-increasing frequency. All finance is global in 2022. I don't want to go into too much context here, because for one thing, I don't understand these goings-on well enough to comment in great detail, but also because Matt Taibbi does such an incredible job laying out the entire story in Griftopia. And not just one story, but many, which all converge on the same undeniable conclusion, that the objectivist greed-is-good vampires are more powerful than ever, have inserted themselves into every facet of the American and global political economic machine, and that we are all at their mercy unless we choose to do something about it. In perhaps the book's greatest line, Taibbi writes about Goldman Sachs, just one of the cast of villains in the various stories of financial chicanery in Griftopia, how the investment bank is, quote, a great vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into anything that smells like money, unquote. That's just a taste of the sort of creative metaphors he indulges in, which might seem excessive for a nuts and bolts journalist, but which only add flavor to the reporting on and history of recent financial collapses he outlines in exquisite detail. This book is the definition of a page-turner, not just because of how well-written it is, but because every sentence and paragraph is like a revelation. There's so much that I and most people do not understand about what happened in 2008. But Taibbi does a masterful job of parting the waters like Moses with the Red Sea, revealing the vast, scummy iceberg of criminality and greed lurking beneath the surface. But this isn't just a story about the United States. My mission with Gone Native is to bring you stories which tie the whole world together, to show how the history of every people, land, and nation is connected, to build bridges instead of walls. 
The U.S. banking system, not the military, is the apparatus which sits astride the world like a colossus. After the Second World War, the United States found itself not just the greatest world superpower in terms of military might, but the inheritor of a global financial system which had leveraged itself almost entirely to Washington and New York to pay for a decade of industrialized conflict. The infamous Bretton Woods Conference in 1944 set the ground rules for the new system of international finance for all the richest nations, the U.S., U.K., Western European nations, Australia, and Japan, in the post-war world until 1971, when Richard Nixon took the U.S. off the gold standard and ended any semblance of reality in how the dollar, and as a result, almost every international currency, was valued. In essence, the U.S. spent the 27 years from 1944 until 1971 consolidating its role as the sole banking superpower. Then, in 1971, it took the gloves off and handed financial institutions carte blanche to bully the rest of the world with the dollar, not physical assets like gold as the main global reserve currency. The story of dollarization is an important one, and one which I will cover more in future articles. But suffice to say that the free-floating dollar became a tool that the U.S. has used ever since 1971 to have its way with the world economy. The country where I reside, Colombia, is no stranger to this kind of economic extortion. Right now, the Colombian peso, along with many other Latin currencies, are experiencing record devaluation against the dollar, thanks to none other than the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank and its manipulation of interest rates which have been kept artificially low throughout the pandemic and before, giving countries, banks, and corporations access to huge pools of interest-free capital. Now, the bill is coming due from the era of free money, and just like always, the price is being paid by ordinary people in the form of monstrously inflated prices for gas and other commodities, while big corporations continue to post record profits. Do not be distracted. Racism, abortion rights, gun laws, and the war in Ukraine, while important issues, are not the real drivers of economic inequality. Just like during the commodities bubble in 2008, when too high gas and food prices were blamed on piggish Americans driving gas-guzzling SUVs and stuffing their faces with potato chips, and in fact the real culprit was unregulated speculation in commodities markets, Vladimir Putin is not the reason we are all paying too much at the pump in the grocery store. In fact, in Colombia whose primary export is petroleum, gas prices have barely moved since the war in Ukraine began. This may be a bigger story than any of us know, and I will be attempting to cover it more in depth in a future article, but it illuminates the benefits of having an expanded perspective on the world as a whole. Inflation is running rampant throughout the globe right now, but it didn't start in earnest until the U.S. Fed started to raise interest rates, and they show no signs of slowing down. Perhaps the most telling aspect of the story of the 2008 crisis and other recent financial crises is the utter lack of remorse on the parts of those who perpetrated them. The bankers might get fined, hauled before Congress, and forced to confess their sins on the public stage. But the most you will ever hear from them by way of an apology are tacit admissions that we may have miscalculated certain aspects of those deals, or, you know, it's too bad those emails became public. You will never hear, we're sorry, we made a mistake, we got too greedy, it's our fault. These people have destroyed the universe for their own profit so many times just to watch the government slap them on the wrist and tell them they were being oh so naughty before sighing and writing a check to bail them out that human nature dictates they will keep trying new tricks to game the system and line their own pockets before there is simply nothing left to steal. Griftopia is just part of the story of how we are all being taken advantage of by the people who control how the vast pool of money sloshes around the globe. But it is a critically important one. This is a book that every American, and perhaps every human, should read, given how much the American financial system still affects the daily lives of people all over the world. If you've ever looked at money and wondered just 
what the hell's going on there. Matt Taibbi is here to help explain it to you. Saludos.